The purpose of today's message is to put into perspective where we are as a church in terms of God's plan and in terms of our journey in God's purposes. On Monday when I led the morning prayer, I avoided telling people that that particular day, 4th of September 2023, marked 40 years since this church was handed over to me as a young 22-year-old young man. I did, however, tell the people at the end of the service, of the end of the prayer session, because I didn't want to be distracted, nor did I want to start getting too emotional about it. But be that as it may, I want to thank God from the depth of my heart for the 40-year-long journey. That on the 4th of September, 1983, this church was handed over to me at Mavis Hall. And God has journeyed with us for 40 years. And I want to say as well how grateful I am for my family, my late mom, my late dad, my sisters, my brothers-in-law, and for them having journeyed with me, and how grateful I am for my in-laws, and how grateful I am for Waifi. 35 years we've been on this journey. Of the 40 years of being in ministry, she's walked with me for 35 years as a partner and a faithful wife. Thank you, wife. Appreciate that. Thank all of you, Bazalwana, as well. Thanks to all of you as well as a church and everybody who has played a role in our lives. But I want to put into perspective because one of our young ministers asked me a very serious question this past week. And he said to me, when you look at us young people, you know, Bampita Papa or Daddy, or I go by many names. He said, what is it that you think is lacking in us younger ministers? Do you think 40 years later we will still be there? It was a very serious question. And then in reflection, I realized that maybe sometimes... We don't get to share all there is to share about our journey. I guess for whatever reason. We don't want people to be saying this and this about us, thinking Rikets are what we're not. But I think we deprive people of understanding what makes for certain things. That 40 years later, you can still be serving God, passionate, still anointed, loving Jesus more than ever before. What makes for that? But that we are 40 years as a church. On its own is a huge statement. And I don't want to call it an achievement because we didn't achieve anything. It's a statement of God's faithfulness. And so today I want to share with you the significance of the number 40 in sacred scripture. So that you understand where we are as a church historically. Why? Because that you are committed to this house and submitted to this house, that you are connected to this house, and you are a member of this house, and you participate in this house, the anointing of the house, will flow into your life when you have a meaningful connection to the house. So even with you young people and all of you, God's going to keep you for the next 40 years and beyond. You see, you have missed a prophecy right there. You have missed it. And your journey will be a journey marked with God's intervention. It will be a journey 
of fruitfulness. A journey of success given by God. A journey of fulfilling God's purpose. Can a prophet that the anointing of this house may it be your portion. That 17 year old girl I was praying for. That 27 year old young man I was praying for. And the people in their 30s and their 40s and whoever you are, may the anointing of this house. Ah, you're not hearing me. I said, may the anointing of the house be upon you. That several years ago, we were 34 people in a classroom. And at the end of that month, 120 rands as the total offering for the whole month of September 1983. And that 40 years later, We've got several churches, buildings, bought, paid for, cash. Thousands of members. That several years later, we can go to Orlando Stadium by the grace of God and fill out Orlando Stadium. Come on now, you're not hearing me. That years later, we, 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 we can be able to buy buildings cash. But, but most of all, that years later, more people are getting saved and, 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 and healed and, and touched by the power of God. That the glory of God is still there. That we can worship and the power of God can come down. And we can put our eyes on Jesus more than ever before. I say, may that anointing. I said, may that anointing. Be your portion. Hallelujah. Numbers or figures are used in the word of God. And when they are used, they are never used promiscuously. But when used, they take a spiritual meaning and significance. And when you study it as the searcher of truth, you'll find there the resources of wisdom and knowledge, as Proverbs 25.2 tells us. It's very interesting to note that all of creation is stamped with a seal of numbers. All of creation is stamped with a seal of God in numerics. As a matter of fact, the one who created us, our God as the creator, he is a being of time. And therefore, he is a creature of number. And his nature is that of dealing in numbers. And you find his nature expressed in the Bible, the Holy Bible. Because when you read the Holy Bible, numbers are used. Bible numbers. And so the Holy Bible is stamped with the same seal of numerics. And so when you read the Bible, throughout the Bible... Even though this book was written by various men over different periods, sometimes hundreds of periods apart, written by people of different understandings, people who of different income groups, sociopolitical expressions. And yet, in this same Bible, when you bring it together, you'll find common threads between these stories. Common threads between these books. And you'll find that they consistently use numbers to mean one and the same thing. And there's a harmony that is there in scripture. That's why I tell people, listen, the Bible is like no other book. Never. No book like the Bible. Written by many authors over many generations. Hundreds of generations apart. Some in times of slavery. Some post-slavery. Some when they were displaced. Some when they were in the Holy Land. Some in times of trial. Some in times of joy. All kinds of things in famine. When there was plenty. In times of persecution. But when you take all the writings of all these people, they are all talking about the same thing. It can only be that the Bible is inspired by God. As 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. And 2 Peter 1.21 says, holy men of old wrote as they were led by the Holy Spirit. For that reason, in studying the Bible, 
It's important for us to note the importance of numbers. However, we shouldn't overstretch some of these truths and overstretch these numbers and make the Bible say what it never said in the first place. And as an antidote for that, we therefore need to have certain principles that we can operate by. When you follow these principles in studying numbers in the Bible, it will preserve you from error and from extremes. There's six of them. Number one, the simple numbers of one through 13 in the Bible have a spiritual significance. So if you can't get all the notes, we're going to post this on our website, Bishop's Notes. So I'll try my best to slow enough for you to write. But if you can write everything, Don't worry, you'll get it tomorrow. Write as best as you can because I know I remember better when I wrote it myself because there's a lot that the Holy Spirit says. So try, Mara. Sometimes you yellow. All right. Number two. Multiples of these numbers or doubling and tripling these numbers, carry the same meaning. In other words, whatever meaning there was in the number 1, 2, or 12, when you multiply and triple it, the meaning remains only that the truth gets intensified. Let me give you a a very interesting example. Six is the number of men in the Bible. Six. And that's because man was made on the sixth day. So six is the number of man. So that's in the Genesis. You go all the way back to Revelations. And you read in Revelations about someone who will appear and who will rule the world. And this who the one who will appear will be used by the devil. And they will have a seal on their head, 666. Now, that 666 already tells you that whoever that person is, is a human being. Because 6 is the number of men. Watch this now. But 666, to also designate that this 6 person is a tripartite being. Spirit, soul, and body. 666. But that this six men, spirit, soul, and body, will be indwelt by evil powers and will rule the world. So it's not just an ordinary man. It's a man who has intensified in power. But the number six, we find it in Genesis. So this will help you when you read the Bible not to put things that are not there. Because some people, they love to stretch the revelation. A fucking dozer, wala. Look at anybody say, Jada. <laughs> Number what? Number three. This is important. The first use of the number in scripture generally conveys its spiritual meaning. So when a number is used for the first time, it conveys its spiritual meaning. So, one of the things you need to learn in the Bible is that as you read the Bible, that's why it's good to read the, the Old Testament. You know, my bishop loves reading the Old Testament so much. She made me love the Old Testament. Not that I didn't love it, but I, I, I read it a lot. And I found out that the Old Testament helps you understand the New Testament a lot. Because in the Old Testament, Mamelang, there are times when things were mentioned for the first time. Those of you who are theologians, you call it the principle of first mention. The principle of first mention. Let me give you an example. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Fine. But the next verse, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the earth. And then it goes on and says, and what? And the spirit of the Lord moved upon the earth. The Tov Abohu. So the first mention of the Holy Spirit, the first mention, of the Holy Spirit is when he is hovering upon. 
So as a principle, the Holy Spirit will always hoover upon. And the word hoover upon is a very interesting word. Very, very interesting word. And you know, sometimes it's kind of hard for us to have the courage sometimes to give you the, the, the intricate details of what some of the words mean. But, but the original people understood that. They understood that. The word hoover there is exactly what Elijah did when he prayed for rain. That's the posture he took. It's not only a posture of childbirth, but also it's a posture of when a man and a woman engage in an intimate act. And the man and the woman engage in an intimate act and the husband hovering over the wife. Now sometimes it's kind of hard to say it in church. I can see it, but I'm, 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 I'm just telling you. But that's in the Bible. But God has not been graphic or vulgar He's trying to tell us that it's, it's the hovering upon that becomes a life-giving experience. So, so the Holy Spirit comes upon. In the book of Acts, he came upon. He sat on them. Hovered upon them. And hovering upon them, he brings about life just like life is released in the act of marriage. And so that principle of first mention when you understand from the very first time we met the Holy Spirit, he was hovering upon. And the interesting thing, he's hovering upon tohu He's hovering upon something that is messy, out of form. Watch this. It's messy, it's out of form. Everything is out of kilt. Right? And it's dark. But even in darkness, the Holy Spirit is present. Oh. Even in confusion... He is present, watch. Mara, even if he's present, he's not active. He's waiting for a command of the word of God. Ah. And when God spoke and said, let there be light, the Holy Spirit who was always there, he works with the world. And then you go back to Mark chapter 16, when it talks about the disciples, and they went everywhere. And they preached everywhere. They preached everywhere. They preached everywhere. They preached everywhere. The Lord working with them. And, and confirming the word with signs for the soul. The Holy Spirit always works with the word. Mara, he is in, he is in, he is in hibernation mode. He is in dormant mode. He is in standby mode. Waiting for the word to be released. When you release the word, he takes the word which is the substance. Oh, Basalon. The book of Hebrews says, God in, the, God in, 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 in times past spoke to our prophets, our fathers through the prophets. But in these days has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the heir of all things who upholds all things by the word of his power. So it means God's way of upholding and keeping from falling is through his word. But his word always works hand in hand with the Holy Spirit. So in Genesis already, God is setting the principle. I wish I could preach a little bit on that. So the first use of numbers in scripture, of a number in scripture, conveys the spiritual meaning. Number four, there's consistency in scripture. Because God is consistent. God is consistent. Hey. So what numbers mean in Genesis, it means throughout all the revelation of the Bible. All right. So you can always draw a line between the old and the new. Let me get your attention. Which means if whatever it meant in Genesis is whatever it will be in, in Revelation. So if I come into Revelation and I see a number and I don't understand what it means, I can go back to Genesis and get the meaning of what it means and apply it here. Because there's a consistency of Scripture. Are you understanding what I'm trying to say? All right. 
Number five. The spiritual significance of a number is not always stated, but it may be veiled, hidden, or seen by comparison with other scriptures. What do we mean by that? You may read something that has a number in it that makes a reference in a number and you don't understand what it means. But remember numbers alone. The Bible always is progressive revelation. Say it with me. The Bible is... I know it's warm now, it's summertime. Summer time now. Again, So, which means this, Bazalana, this is important. If you don't understand what that verse means, you can read further in the Bible and you'll find scriptures similar to that same verse. Which means, Mamelang, the best way to interpret the Bible is to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Are you understanding what I mean? Yeah, so, so there's always a consistency. And the, the Bible loops together in a continual revelation. So there's a point where something is mentioned, you don't understand it. But as you stay with that loop later on, oh, because it's a continuous revelation. Number six. Generally, with numbers, there's good and evil, true and counterfeit. Godly and satanic aspects in numbers. What I mean is that numbers designate good or evil. And this is why, Barcelona, even with people who, who were witches, satanists, spiritists, those who traffic in the world of dark spirits and evil spirits, they understand something about numbers, what numbers mean. That's why even when you read the Old Testament, in the, in the tabernacle, even in the way things were done, numbers were important. In Israel, it was 12 tribes. Jesus came, he chose 12 disciples. You go into the book of Revelation, the number 12 matters. Now, numbers are very spiritual. They are very important. They have a specific significance. 12 is the number of government and rulership. It's the number 12. In fact, I remember listening to one guy who used to be a Satanist when he talks about demonic entry, how demons enter people. And he said this, and this was very profound. He said, because demonic spirits are in the spirit world, and we are in the natural world even if we are spirit beings, it's not easy for them to interact with human beings. They have to establish a a way to connect, a connecting point. You see, to interact with the supernatural powers, that you have to create a, a path of connection. That path, it can be worship, it can be offering, it can be substances you use, things you write on your body, Lunabadi tattoo. I know it's fashionable. Yeah, yeah, let me tell you something. Most people don't know. You, many of you, you don't even know where this thing started. I can challenge you. You don't know. Because, you see, to, you know, today's generations go with populism. Mara, there is so much ignorance. People don't know the history of things. They don't know. They don't know where it comes from. They don't know. Like I told you, I went to a conference. It was a, you know, it was a, it was a, it was not a workshop, it was a training session of Christians where they invited this spiritual guru. The guru said, <laughs> when the spiritual guru came, one of the things he tried to teach us is how to walk on, on fire because he was trying to teach us that you can use the power of your mind to overcome any fear. And, and Christian people took their shoes off and walked on the water, on the, on the fire. In the Old Testament, 
That is forbidden. Because many of you don't even know the background of that. In Kasani, go and find out. Go and find out. Go and find out. This spirit is Satan. He says, people don't know. You know, we talk about the four corners of the earth. He said, in the spirit world, the world has four corners. And when they come to evoke incantations and release curses on places, they stand at the four corners and they, they come in as a certain number. And they can only infiltrate those who open a door. So when you take things, put it on your body, put it in your house, hang it on your wall. You don't even know what it is. Right? Write things on your body. Cloth is a path. Physical contact is a path. In terms of sexual connotations. You don't understand when you have sex with a person, it's not just a physical act. There's a lot of transaction that happens. So it's around everybody. You don't understand what's going on. You think you're a smart guy. You even boast about it that it's, it's, it's sustaining you. You're making money. It's your, it's your work. No, that's what you say. Come on, don't look at me like that. You don't understand the doors you're opening. You, you don't have a clue. So in the spirit world, numbers matter. This guy said, anytime we wanted to go and destroy a church, the first thing we'd do is to get the Christian there to be lazy to pray. Yeah. Spiritual slumber. You remember when Paul wrote to the book of, to the, to the Ephesians? He says, wake up who you sleep. That Christ may give you life. Paul understands. There's a spiritual slumber that comes on people. Where Satan makes you lethargic for the things of God. vibrant. You've got motivation to do what's wrong. Mara, when you want to do what's right, all of a sudden, a lethargic spirit comes on you. Now, if you don't understand that it's demonic powers that are stopping you, you will yield to the spirit of lethargy. But if you understand, you will still get up and do what you want to do, even if you don't feel like it. In the process of time, you are going to break the power of the... Oh, come on, somebody. And the more you stay on the right path, you get to a point where you get into a rhythm that now you have passed out of that. You know, it's almost like when you, when you go into a tunnel. You go into this darkness for a while. Mara, when you are in the tunnel, you don't stop. You keep on walking. Even if Urapela, you are yawning and you are feeling tired and your body says don't wake up, you still wake up anyhow. You still pray anyhow. You still read the Bible anyhow. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, suddenly you come out of the tunnel and you are a new person. I see you being a new person in the name of Jesus. Yeah. So numbers mean a lot. And this guy said, we'll go to churches and we'll make them lazy in spiritual things, mostly lazy to pray and lazy to read the Bible. And then he said something. He said, anytime we saw Christians in unity, we couldn't infiltrate them. But this is in the Bible. Starts called Genesis. God says, let us, let us make men. Genesis. Let us, let us, there's a unity in the Godhead. Let us make man in our own image. Because God's way of equality doesn't mean there's no seniority in terms of accountability. You see, Ronaldo equality. No, I We are equal in the essence of who we are, but we are not equal in responsibility, delegation, and anointing and power. And that's the same thing in a home. Husband and wife are equal. They are the same human beings. Mara responsibility-wise, the man is the head of the home. 
So if you as a woman, you are disregarding your husband, you don't know what you're causing in your home. He may not be as spiritual as you are. He may not be as educated as you are. He may even be unemployed. Because some of you. You've empowered women so much. Yeah. But you see, in a church, the pastor is the senior. So if you have associate pastors who are trying to make themselves something, they're out of order. That's principle. So this guy said, we'll try to cause division. But he says, most of all, what was even harder for us is when we find a group of Christians joining hands and praying together. He said, the joining of hands is a symbol of unity. He says, once Barapella in that format, you can't penetrate them. That's why you see me. Let us have for me the circle. I say, join hands, join hands. That's why I make you join hands, join hands. I understand what I'm doing in the spirit world. When are you may think, no, I'm just... <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. You know what, Bazalan? Let me do this for you. I see some of you are getting tired, so I, I, I don't think I want to go on with that. <laughs> Must I continue? Okay. Now, it's going to be, a, a, be, be, okay, you give me 15 more minutes, is that okay? Yeah. 15 more minutes. Now, but help me. Let's work in unity now. Yeah. If your neighbor sleeps, over. <laughs> All right. Give them an anointed elbow. Vugalova. All right. Now, okay, now, let's go to the numbers then. The number 40 appears in the Bible 150 times. And of those times, the words 40 days and 40 nights are found 24 times. Each time, they denote a significance for God and his people. So let's go through this quickly. Now, the points I'm about to read are not numbered. So in numbering them. Point number one. We see in Genesis 7, 4, how the floods, the rain came down, and it lasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Right? So the 40 there, there's a law in the Bible of double-fold meaning. In other words, it's, it's a law that even if something happens in the natural it carries a spiritual significance. Even if in Tuetzaketzing is, is recorded as a historical fact. For instance, I was explaining to them yesterday, when Jonah was swallowed by the whale and he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, it's, that's what happened historically. Mara, that same happening was a prefigure or a shadow or a foretelling of Jesus who would go into the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. So in the Old Testament, it's, 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 it's limited to a historical fact. In the New Testament, it transitions to a spiritual thing. Are, are you there, everybody? All right. So that, that's a very important thing to understand. So the 40 days and 40 nights of floods speak about that period of judgment. But note what happens. On the 40th day, everything stops and a new season comes. Spiritually, you may go through a period of suffering designated by the number 40. Mara, I want to tell you something. After the suffering, God appears to bring something different. So it's a truth that's there. Let, let, let me rush, let me rush. Number two, Moses was summoned by God to go to Mount Sinai. Watch. When he went to Mount Sinai, 
He was in the presence of God and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Watch this. So Moses becomes the prefigure of Jesus Christ. Who as well spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting. Moses fasts to receive the Ten Commandments. Jesus fasts to go out and preach the commandments. And so, 40 days then becomes a period of preparation that before God can use you like Jesus, he takes you through number 40 to prepare you for your task. So after 40 days, Moses comes down with the law. After 40 days, Jesus, the book of Luke says, he came out of the wilderness with the power of the Holy Spirit upon him. So it means God is already telling us, if you're going to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the fullness of what I have, I will take you through the number 40, through the school of preparation. Moses is prepared by God in Egypt. For 40 years, he's in Egypt under slavery, under Pharaoh. He's there, feeling displaced. He can't connect with the Egyptians. He's learned their language. He's gone to their school. He is a prince. He's eating well. Mara, he has an inward dissatisfaction. He is disconnected. He is misplaced. And in the process, he looks over and sees his countrymen suffering. And he wants to go in and help them, but he doesn't want to blow his cover. And finally, on the 40th note, he can't help it anymore. He jumps in to help his countrymen and by that reveals his identity. And now the 40 years comes to an end. It becomes a time of transition when he runs into Midian. Now he is in the second cycle of 40 in Midian. He's there as a shepherd. He's in a foreign land serving a man he doesn't know. Marries that man. Now he's old in his 80s. He thinks God is done with him, but God is never done with you, my friend, no matter how many 40s you go through. And on the second 40th cycle, God appears to him and says, now you're ready. <laughs> I've taken you through two schools of 40s. The one school you felt disconnected, the other school you felt like a foreigner. Now you are ready and now I can use you because I've emptied you of yourself and I can only fill you with myself and I can only trust you because you have been trained. Hey, I see God trusting some people who have been through the school of training. Grace Bible Church, I'm saying God is about to trust us with more. We have been through 40 years. God is about to take us into a transition. We have been through 40 years. And so 40 becomes a, an important number. So we see that in Exodus 24, 18. Serious. I still have a lot of points to go. I'm being honest with you. How many minutes did I use? Five? So I still have ten more minutes. Okay, let us know how far we can go. Number what? Number three, the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years after freeing the Egyptians. So you may be in your 40 cycle, a time where you are wandering. Your career is not working. Your home is not working. You are wandering. You have the knowledge, you have the skill, but you have nothing to show for it. You are wandering. All your plans should be working, but they're not working. And the reason they were wondering is because of their disobedience. Look how far your disobedience has brought you. You are wondering. You are living with a discontented heart. You are not happy on the inside. But it's quite interesting. In spite of them wondering, which leads me to my next point, which is number what? Number four. Instead of them wondering, number four, God still gave them manna. <laughs> The goodness of God. Who even if only by Zani, he still shows up for you and gives you manna. 
So for the 40 years of their byzanning, God was still there. That tells us about the character of God. And so you understand when Jesus talks about the prodigal son, he's extracting that character of God. That here's a man whose son came to him and says, give me everything that is mine. He left his dead, insulted his dead, left. This man, even if his son insulted him, you can read by implication that every day he would go out and stand at the gate and scan the horizon if his son is not coming back home. So even if the son has wandered away, a father's heart still scans the horizon. And when the son finally came to his senses and came back home, the father didn't even wait for him to get into the gate. The father didn't wait for the son to come to him. The father went to him. The Bible says it's not that we first loved God, but he first loved. The boy had rehearsed a wonderful speech of self-righteousness. That when I meet my father, I will tell him, I'm so sorry, father. I'm not even worthy to be called a son. Just make me one of your servants. But when the father came, he didn't even give the brother a chance to go through the self-righteous speech. He hugs him. He puts a new rope on him. He puts a ring on his finger. He throws a big banquet because you are not saved by your works. You are not saved by your goodness. You are saved by the grace of God. Gimu Safela! And all of that, we see it in God providing for the children of Israel over the 40 years. Which means, some of you, your days of wandering are over. Oh, I would shout louder if I was you. I tell you, I would shout until the person next to me is not happy. I would shout so loud. I said, your days of wandering are over. The days of your bondage are over. The days of depression are over. The days of sadness are over. The days of loneliness are over. The days of feeling disconnected are over. I see the Father God putting his arms around you. I see you walking in the presence of the Lord. I see you functioning in the power of God. I said the days of Byzantine are over. They're over. They're over. Let me do it Nwaka style. Sit down. <laughs> Number five. Forty becomes the period of probation. The twelve spies went to search the land for 40 days. That's Numbers 13, 25. And when they came back, ten came with an evil report, two came with a good report. Watch this, Bazalan. You need to be careful when God has put you on probation that you don't become embittered in your spirit. God takes you through the 40 cycle of a probation where you don't understand why things are not working even if you are doing everything right. Yeah. You are praying, you are tithing, you are loving, you are forgiving, you are going to church, you walk in integrity. God, to into It's probation. When you reach that period of probation, be careful not to be like the ten other guys who come back with an evil report and say, "We're giving up on this thing. It's not going to work." Listen to me. Doesn't matter how long it takes for you to get to where God says you will get. One day is one day. And in the period of probation, God wants you to guard your spirit. That you don't become bitter because you will see others overtaking you. You will see others who are breaking all the rules, getting breakthroughs before yours. Sometimes they will come and zing zong you. Make sure you don't get zing-zonged. Think about Joseph. He gets a dream. He sees himself 
leading and ruling. And the next thing that follows is his brothers take him, throw him into the pit. Be careful what you say when you're in the pit. You may be in the pit, but being in the pit doesn't void the promise of God. God is not a man to lie. God is not the son of man to change his mind. If he said it, it will happen. Just when Joseph thought it's all done, they take him out of the pit. Hey, I know my brothers are not so cruel. And then they sell him to the Ishmaelites. His own brothers. Not other people. His own brothers. His own brothers. In times of (laughs) probation, even your own brothers, your own sisters, your own best friend, your own friend, your own bestie, as you say, young people, will zing zong you. You're going to fail the test if you hate them, if you start talking about them, if you start just... God is not over yet. Tell your neighbor, God is not over yet. God's not over yet. And then just when he thought the Ishmaelites got him, then, then they sell him and he goes and serve in a foreign place, in Potiphar's place. And just when he thinks he's up, he's thrown into prison because of the lie of Potiphar's wife. I mean, how can he tell so bad? And then when he's in prison, he interprets the other guy's dreams and he says, I saw you, I had a dream that you're going to be taken out to go serve the king. Before to how to use can live on. And then the guy gets released and he forgets about Joseph. But you know what I like? Even when he is in prison, he still continues to interpret the dreams. They may take away everything you have, but they can't take the anointing and the gifting of God upon your life. And it takes a lot of discipline to continue operating in the anointing of God even when everything around you is against you. Mara, if you understand probation, God takes you through that period to work on you because God knows he is giving you a serious assignment in future. And his concern is for him to give such power to an untrained person. So, prophet, when your problems are many, when your probation led term is tough, when your probation is long, when things are falling apart, it's already a prophecy in hiding that's giving you an inclination. Your work is a big one that awaits you. Yeah. I was talking to one pastor recently and he's gone through so many things. And you know, because he doesn't know, you know, I've been in ministry 40 years now. He says he gets about some of these things. And he was crazy at the bishop. Ooh, ooh. I said, hey, Moya pants. I said to him, everything that you're going through, it's a sign that you have a big assignment. I said to him, don't lose your composure. Don't hate those who hate you. I said to him, guard your heart in Fanaguti. Love them even when you know they are hypocrites. Speak good to them even if they curse you every time. Give to them even if they steal from you. Maintain your composure. Be a soldier. Don't be a civilian. Because you understand what's on the other side. What gives you the capacity to face the difficult, the most difficult time in your life is what lies on the other side. When Jesus was facing the cross, where he's going to lose his life, he's going to be nailed on the cross, he's going to become sin, he's going to be separated from God the Father, he's going to, his spirit is going to go down into the depths and the citadels of the dead. And when he faced that, the cup that he had to to drink, the poison that would not only come into him, the poison that would poison every cell in him. When he faced that, 
and he felt like I can't do it anymore and he goes into the garden of Gethsemane to try and get power to be able to face the cross and he calls his friends to come and join him in prayer and intercession but instead of joining him they fall asleep he's all alone because this time of probation you are all alone there's no one there to help you you are all alone and the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What does it mean? Not only did he look at the cross, he looked on the other side of the cross. He saw you getting born again. He saw you getting born again. He saw you getting healed. He saw you getting delivered. He saw the world coming to him. He saw the world coming to God and knowing God. And Jesus said, if this is what it means, I will endure the cross. I will stick it out for now. Because I Afterwards, after the 40 days, after the probation, there comes a season when Joseph finally was ruling. And even when he has power, he's got inward control. When he can hurt those who hurt him, he doesn't do it. Because the probation period is not when God works through you, it's when God works in you. And he works in you so that he can trust you when he works through you. That you will not use what he gives you. You will not use how he anoints you. He will not use your success to bring down others that even when they have hurt you, you will still embrace them and love them anyhow. Because you have gone through a period of probation. I don't know who you are today who's going through probation. But the word of the Lord to you is that guard your heart. Don't hate. You know, what I was saying, and I'm going to close with this one. Sometimes I don't tell you the fullness of my journey as a pastor here. And, and, and God has really talked to me about that. He said, you are depriving the people to understanding. My struggle was, why, why? And God said, no, tell them. I, I don't want to tell it to embarrass anybody, and I won't. Someone, when I was talking to them about this, one leader said, but Bishop, it's still true whether you tell it or not. And it's public knowledge, even if we're not so weak, I I said, all right, I will tell. I want to close and I want to encourage you. I'm saying what I'm saying with confidence today because when I was 22 years old, I didn't understand what I've just said now. I was naive enough to think that if you do everything right, if you love everybody and if you're kind to everybody, and if you serve with loyalty and faithfulness, people will reciprocate. By doing in kind. I will say, yes, do all those things. But don't expect people to be good. See, many of you who were raised in good homes, see, the, the, the one thing about raising children in a good home, which is really great, but the challenge of it is that when you're raised in a home like I was raised in, and many of you were raised in those homes where when your parents said, I'm coming back tomorrow, they were there. You, you were not raised in a home where people didn't keep their promise. And you're not raised in a home where an uncle will abuse you. You, you, you don't know that. So you, you grow up naive and not streetwise. And the minute you, you land on the on the shores of the world, the vultures are waiting to initiate you. That was me in ministry. Because I served God and I was committed to a local church. I thought people would be nice to me. I didn't think people would say one thing and do another thing behind my back. I didn't know. I was naive. So, when the church was handed over to me, on the, fifth, on the 4th of September, 1983, I thought all the other people who were there were in agreement because I didn't choose me. Me was chosen by Pastor Ray McCauley and Pastor Andre Knutze. It had been a long discussion for the month that I should become pastor. 
Mina bentinge ko awe. That there were many people who were not happy at all. Not only were they not happy, they connived. Had meetings after hours where I was never invited. And they were plotting to be affection and to defect elsewhere. Mina, I never knew. So I got surprised when I inherited the church, 4th of September, 1983. Next thing, we were told to leave the venue where we were having church. I got a letter during the week on a Thursday by default that the coming Sunday is the last Sunday. Oh, it. This is my first week at work. I had gone somewhere in Randberg to Rema to go and finalize the issue about me being the pastor. So when I leave, Pastor Ellen McCauley says, hey, Pastor Musa, uh, there's a letter that has come to us that I think is actually for you. When I read it, it wasn't addressed to me, Mara, it was, it was talking about me. Have you ever been there? <laughs> when I read it, the letter said, we hereby want to inform you that the venue that you were using as of the 11th of September, 1983, will be the last time. It will no longer be available. This is on Thursday, Basalan. I mean, run back. Anna Moto. Kitsamayaka bus. And the buses and the taxis were not great that time. I had to use this bus. And you young people, there were no cell phones, my girl. So there's no way I can phone when I'm in the bus to make arrangements for another thing. So here I'm sitting in the bus. I'm reading this letter. I'm t- and then when I read this letter, I say, how? Mamelang, I'm in a state of tova boo. Confused, hurt, surprised, shocked, bewildered. Dear Mekar. And in that tova boo, the Holy Spirit in here said, Go to your former school principal at Isaacson Higher Primary School tomorrow. So I got home at 6 o'clock that night. Following day, I went to Isaacson Higher Primary School, which is one of the places where we're going to march through during our pilgrimage. And we're also doing a special thing for that school as well. Special thing. I go to my principal... And I say to my principal, uh, <clears throat> principal, sekili muruti ano. Are also no The reason I've come to see you, principal, is that we, we are looking for an accommodation for to 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 use some classrooms during preaching. Uh, is there any possibility? Are so no man. You should have come here three months ago because we had a meeting with the SG, with the school governing body and the committee, and we allocated space for churches, and we are limited, we can't have more churches, we can't use, and he's talking, and in front of my eyes, I see the man, I see the Holy Spirit grab him. <coughs> so then he goes, ah, but you know, I think we can make a plan. I'm watching this. Just, I, I, I think we can make a plan. Uh, yeah, no, man, don't, don't worry what the SGB says, man. You, you can start using the place. Uh, uh, you say from when I said the 18th. He said, yeah, you can use it on the 18th. And then he goes, uh, uh, and, 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 and what time are you going to use it? This church, we used to start church at 10 o'clock, my brother. So I said 10 o'clock. He said, oh, man, it won't work in that case. Because the people who are using it start around 12 o'clock, half past 11, 12 o'clock. And, you know, I'm still, and out of my spirit comes out the words, we'll use nine o'clock. That's how the nine o'clock service started. For those of you who don't know, it's an anointed time. And then we start using the place. And, and, and so we go to that place on the 18th of September, 1983. And the faction group, they didn't show up. They all left. Most of them were people who are from Bible school. They went to start their own church somewhere, Kai Kai, and their own things. 
So I went to there, and when I look around in the crowd, the Sunday before we had 120 people, when we went to Isaacson, we grew from 120 to 34 people. (laughs) So here I'm looking, 34 people, when I look around, there's not a single one of them who has been to Bible school. Not a single one of them who has an understanding of how to run church. Nobody has a semblance of what church should look like. We have a sound system. We have a music group that is still zamazamaring. And things are off. And I'm standing here with my mind full of tovabohu, committed to the cause. And from nowhere, the Holy Spirit falls like he fell on us earlier in the service, without warning, all of a sudden, power of God falls on people, and people start worshiping non-stop, raising their hands non-stop, and all of a sudden, people start dancing in the spirit, and, and running around, and there's, there's a holy pandemonium, and, I, and I'm not responsible for that, I didn't say anything, God just on his own said, okay, because give me a chance to work, and he just starts grabbing people. One of the things I'll never forget as long as I live out of that service was that there's a young girl who was brought that day to the service who had Down syndrome. Saliva and snot. She used to walk like this. She had to be carried. Terrible condition. She used to have fits. And it was a big problem. I remember when I saw them coming into the service. So during the service, whatever happened, happened. We we're worshiping God. That's why I was wondering when that atmosphere comes, I don't want to stop it. I know there are things that God is sorting out in our lives. And so finally, I make an altar call like I'm going to make an altar call now. And that girl is carried to the front. And she receives Christ as Savior and Lord. Power of God is on her. Even if there's no visible evidence of it. We take them out to the counseling room like we do here. And after she's counseled, I see her walk out of the counseling room, walking on her own. No snot. No saliva. No days look totally delivered by the power of God. Can I hear an amen? When you are going through persecution, God has not abandoned you. When you're going through a difficult time, God will always do what he wants to do. And one day you're being persecuted, God is trying to tell you, I don't know who you are who's going through a period of persecution. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. You don't know why. You've done all, you've done all things that you should do. You've done all the right things. You try to raise your kids right. You try to be loving to your husband, to your wife. You've worked hard at work. You've tried to have integrity about what you do. Mother, that's not what is coming back to you. Guard your heart. Because the season will not last forever in the name of Jesus. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. God is going to take you over. He's going to take you to the other side. And you know the good thing? When you get to the other side, not only will you have a breakthrough, you will be a different person altogether. Because of 40. Tell your neighbor, God is preparing me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand of praise. Come on, somebody. Would you bow your heads, please? I'm closing in a short while. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you are here and you haven't received Christ as Savior and Lord, and you want to invite Christ into your life, I want to pray for you. You may have come forward to be prayed for earlier, But this call that I'm making is a different call. It's a call to receive Christ. It's a call to have Jesus come into your heart as Savior and Lord. It's a call where you are saying, I've been going the wrong way, God. 
I want to come back on the right way. Your heart yearns for God, longs for God. You may have tried to live right and it hasn't worked for you. Inside you feel disconnected with God. But today you know that God, like the father of the prodigal son, is scanning the horizon waiting for you, daughter. Waiting for you, son, to come into his loving arms. God is beckoning to you. God is calling to you. Please don't say no. Please don't leave this place without responding. Please don't say no. You may have been invited. You may have come on your own. But the fact is, you know that Christ is not the savior of your life. You need prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you say yes, I need prayer. Please pray for me. My life is not right before God. Would you raise your hand, please? Maybe you've been in this church. You may even have been born in this church. Maybe for many years you've tried to fake living for Christ, but you really never made a commitment to Christ, meaningful one. And today is the day where you say, you know what? I want to experience this thing. I've tried my best to be morally good, but I've really never had a living experience. Therefore, I've lived the way I've lived because I tried to do it in my power. But today, I want Christ to come into my heart. Raise your hand also. I want to pray for you. Can I ask those who raise their hands, would you stand on your feet, please? I want to pray for you. Stand on your feet. Thank you. Thank you. Give them a big hand. Thank you, my girl. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is what church is about. May I ask all of you, as you are standing, right where you stand, would you please take all your belongings, your Bible, your bag, your purse. Don't leave any of your belongings behind and just walk all the way from where you are and come stand in the front. I want to pray for you. Just come right now. Italian, Italian. Boss, Italian, Italian. Italian. Walk to the